Welcome to the Leap with Japa, the podcast that bridges continents and connects stories. Join us as we dive into the vibrant world of international education, explore diverse cultures, and share the extraordinary journeys of students far from home. Whether you're dreaming of studying abroad or already embarking on this adventure through other means, Leap with Japa is your companion in navigating the exciting, challenging, and transformative world of global education. Let's leap into today's episode. Hello, good evening, happy Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving Day today in the US. It's been a great day. It's about five, almost five o'clock here in not too sunny side California. Welcome to episode two. The episode would go over deciding to study. I call this the first leap, which is deciding to study. I aim to explore the initial stages of deciding to study abroad. And it's a plan. It's a, it can be a very comprehensive process. And it's always best if you were to sit down and consider all your options. And it's usually the very critical step in the Japa journey. So you have to be very, very, uh, deliberate in this step so i'll start with me uh for me i i'd given some of this story in a previous episode um i was very uh, deliberate in deciding to study in the u.s i started out in 2014 when i first visited initially visited the u.s and the the aim was just to see what the u.s had and i ended up staying with a friend who worked at Goldman, Goldman Sachs, the investment bank. He worked as a software engineer and he was the one that primarily jump-started the journey by letting me know that it was possible to come to the US, be an international student and end up as a software engineer in any industry. And most of this pathway, most of this experience that I'm sharing stems from interactions with him. So one of the first things I would say out of the bat right now is please always share information, always get information from people who stay here. They are the best source of resource. They are the ones that have been through the process. So it's always best. So moving on, I listened to him and he explained, you know, the process to me. And I said, okay, this sounds like a great plan. I would, you know, take it up. And, you know, that's that journey. So why the US? So one of the things you would mention is why not Australia or the UK or Canada or a Scandinavian country? So for me, UK, I had already gone to the UK. I couldn't get a job in the UK in tech. I did lots of interviews, um, worked as a telemarketer, worked in grocery stores, um, it just didn't work out. It worked out for some other people. I just, you know, the last minute I wanted, I didn't want to break the rules of my visa and I left and went back to Nigeria. Canada was another option. It was on the table. So this was 2014. One of the things that drew me to the US rather than Canada is the strength of the tech system, the ecosystem in America. I just didn't see that existing in Canada. So at the time, the a law of the US was 
this was the central engine of the tech industry. And not just that, I had just seen someone that had passed through the U.S. and is successful. So that gave, that reinforced my decision to, to take the U.S. So I don't know, you know, so once you cross that path, the next question would be, so how did you choose your school? Why did you pick it? You know, how many schools did you apply to? So I'll just give you a backdrop of what the U.S. is like. So a lot of people do not understand the sheer size of the U.S. So if you are in a country, say Nigeria, or you're in Kenya, or you're in Malaysia, or Japan, or somewhere. America has 331 million people. It's huge. To give you more context, California, the city, the state that I live in, has 32 million people. Now, Canada, the size of Canada is bigger than the entire US. So listen carefully, the size of Canada is bigger than the entire US. California has 32 million people. The entire space of Canada has roughly the same amount of population as California. That gives you an idea of how big and how huge the US is. So the US is a very, very huge country. And that tells you that there are lots of schools in the entire number of schools, according to the website that I checked just before recording this, is 3,982 schools, post-secondary, by the way, not um, entire schools, post-secondary, 3,982. So you have huge amounts of people in the US. That's the sheer volume. So next question would be, how in the world do you choose schools? So I'll give you some criteria to look out for when trying to figure out what school should I go? And those criteria don't involve ranking. The first thing I would advise is never look at a school ranking to make your choice. School rankings are marketing pamphlets. It's just marketing. It's not different from, I wanna get on an airline to go from one state to another. It's the same plane. It's the same route. It's just different ways of getting there, different services. It's the same thing with schools. It's the same education. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. So 3,982. The first thing you should always consider is the cost of living. That is the first thing you should always consider when picking up schools. So there is a website that I have open on my computer. This website is called the EPI. It's epi.org. It's, um, I, I forgot what EPI is, but essentially they have an EPI family budget calculator on there that measures the income of a family needs in order to attain a modest yet adequate standard of living. I would advise that if you're going to decide to pick a particular school, doesn't matter where, make sure you know what the cost of living in that area is because doesn't matter, you would have to pay this amount to live in that state. Doesn't matter if it's an Ivy League school, doesn't matter if it's not an Ivy League school, this cost of living is a factor that you should consider because you have to eat, you'd have to sleep somewhere, you'd have to entertain yourself. So you cannot run away from cost of living. So one of the biggest factor is affordability. Can I afford to live in that city? So I'll give an example. If I wanted to go to school in Houston, 
Texas. So I'm typing this on my computer right now. And I wanted to go to school in the Houston Woodland Sugarland area. For one adult, housing is $893 a month. Food is $250 a month. Transportation, you will need transportation because, you know, Texas is a is a huge place. You'd have to, you know, there's not a credible public transport, so you'd have to make sure you can get yourself from one point to another. That's about 797 a month, so depends. Um, everything monthly you would need is $3,000 in in the houston area i give you another one so you know some people might say okay that's houston maybe you were applying to university of texas or texas state or whatever that's an example let's say for example you wanted to live in new york you know i want to you know i want to live in new york so it depends on where you want to stay let's say you're going to go to the buffalo area buffalo niagara fall area how much would you spend well, you'll spend 743 dollars again that's buffalo area not the New York Metro. So let's say, for example, you wanted to do New York Metro. I want to stay in the, right in the heart of New York Metro. Your housing is $1,760 a month. Your food is $350 a month. Transportation is easier because it has a very, very good public transport. So you spend $433. But you'd have to spend $4,000 every month in New York. So you understand it depends on the state. So take, for example, so my advice is always go to a state where you have lower cost of living because you'd have to spend local you have to spend living expense in any city anyways so why not choose the cheapest i know the next question would be but what about the schools we'll get there this is the first um, line of entry cost of living once you've narrowed it down so let's say for example you decide to go to arkansas so i can say i want to go to arkansas area the Fayetteville area. Housing in Arkansas is $579 a month. Food is $260. Transportation, you would only need $2,840 in Arkansas. So that's one option. So you can say, okay, I've got an option. So you need to be aware of the U.S., the way the U.S. is. So you have the East Coast, you have the West Coast, you have the South, and you have the, you know, everything in between. So you have Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. Those are all, you know, those are all states right, you know, smack in the Midwest. You have in the South, you have Georgia, you have Alabama, you have Louisiana. Those are typically, you know, very good cost of living. So my advice, look for, a, you know, the New Yorks and the Californias are very expensive to live in. They might have great schools. But the question is, can you pay your way through living there? That, so, that's, so that's one option. And how do I choose my schools? So that's option number one. You need to know what the cost of living is. Number two, in terms of the school, is have yeah, opportunities for teaching assistantships, research assistantships. Do the schools offer this naturally? So you need to be aware that you have... Mm, you know, different schools. So you have the private schools, you have the public schools. I would always suggest you restrict yourself to public schools because those are the ones that will probably have teaching assistantships, research assistantships, and the likes. Very important. So look out for those. Read up on the school's website. You know, how do they cater for students? If you're a grad student, this is 
look out for that. If you're an undergrad student, they have undergrad programs that can cater for some things that you might need in terms of funding. Be aware. So that's the next thing. So after you figure out affordability, look for, and the reason why you look for the teaching assistantships and research assistantships is, if you know how much salary they pay, you would be able to then benchmark, you'd be able to then, yeah, benchmark that against the cost of living and go, if I were to come into the city and I got a teaching assistantship or your research assistantship, is this enough to cover? For, for someone like me, to give an example, when I uh, went to grad school, I was paid $1,400 a month. My rent was $600 a month. So I knew that I could pay rent and I could eat. I went to a school in Texas. We just went through the stats right now. It's cheap to live in Texas. So I figured that, okay, I would survive if I were to go there. And, you know, to give you uh, the numbers for Texas again, if you go to the Houston area on the website, again, the epi.org website, and you did a search for the Houston area, the housing right now is 893. This is just one bedroom Houston area. I didn't, I didn't school in the Houston area. I schooled in a place that was, you know, cheaper. But it gives an idea that it's not going to be more than like $800 a month. It can be higher depending on the area, but at least you have a number. So if you're earning $2,000 as a research assistant, you know you'll be able to pay for living costs. And what you would need is like $3,100, you know, it says $3,113 on the website. But again, this is, a, you know, this has a transportation, healthcare and other things. But this gives you an idea that if you were to go to school in Houston, you would be able to at least get through it. So that's for affordability. The next one was, you know, we did a teaching assistantship once you can figure that out. Okay, they do have that. The next important thing is for that school is what are the professors working on? What what kind of what kind of research do they have? You know, do they have NSF funding? Speaking of NSF, let me just tell you why that is important. So what is NSF before we continue? NSF essentially is the National Science Foundation. It's an independent agency of the United States, federal government, and it supports fundamental research and education in all of the non-medical fields of science and engineering. For medical fields, they have their own funding. They have their own funding. So for anything non-medical, for science and engineering, they fund. The reason why you look at what the professors are working on is because the NSF gives funding to people who have given, you know, enough documentation as to why their research matters. So, what do you do? You look at what the professors are working on and you find out from them, is this interesting to you? And notice I did not mention anything about the caliber of the school because NSF doesn't care about the caliber of the school. NSF just cares that the research is advancing the principles and the values of the United States. So, if they have NSF funding, it is a high indicator that that professor, doesn't matter what school he's in, is doing great work that might interest you. The reason why you don't look at the school they're in is because professors move all the time. And you might start with him in a school somewhere and he moves, you move with him. He would take you alongside with him. Now he might move in another city that might be more expensive, but that's not the point. The point here now is that you are doing this research because the funding is available to complete the research and it interests you. So 
also, and their research papers well cited, that's a good indicator to say, okay, so this professor is doing great work. So those are the, those are the, those are the things. The next thing you should look at is what are the various schools in that area? So to give you an idea, every U.S. state has a state university. Give you an idea, there are 50 U.S. states. Each state has a state university. So an example would be Iowa State University. Another university in that same state would be University of Iowa. So there are two different schools. One is a state university. One is kind of like a federal university. So each, so that's one way you can look at different schools. So if you, so once you've decided that, okay, the cost of living is good, the research is good. The next thing you do is pick a state and then start putting either um, X state university. So X being the name of the state. So an example would be Texas State University is different from University of Texas. You then do your research that way to find out, you know, what are the various schools I can apply to? What are the various professors? What are they doing? So that's one way to start uh, to to start looking for schools. Now, another important criteria is these schools have different programs. And one of the fundamental things with understanding picking a school is do they have proper accreditation? Now, the biggest accreditation for engineering. So I keep talking about engineering. Um, I'm not restricting this message to engineers. It would always be good to refer to other fields of study. I'm referring to the field of study I'm more knowledgeable about. So accreditation would exist for engineering schools. It would exist for business programs. It would exist for uh, medical programs. It would exist for legal programs. So, but the accreditation I'm talking about right now is the ABET accreditation. So what is it? It's a non-profit, non-governmental agency that accredits programs. Notice, not schools, programs. So you might have a school that has multiple programs. They accredit programs in applied and natural science, computing, engineering, and engineering technology. The ABIT accreditation provides assurance that a college or university program meets the quality standards of the profession for which the prog for which that program prepares graduates. They accredit programs, not institutions. They, prov they provide specialized accreditation for post-secondary programs within degree-granted you know, institutions. So another factor is to look at the accreditation. So the ABET accreditation for Stanford is the same ABET accreditation for the for for the for the 500 best school in America. It's the same accreditation. Um, if you're wondering what ABET means, it actually means the Accreditation Board for Engineering and Technology. That's what it means. So it's the same thing. So if if I say, oh, the computer science program in Harvard is better than your computer science program. It is possible that the caliber of people teaching the programs are good, but the accreditation and the way that the standard is being met is different. Everybody has different teaching styles. ABET aims to say that the quality standard of a profession for which the program prepares the graduates has met their requirement. And once you meet that, you've met the requirement. So the accreditation of the school matters. So. That's another factor to consider the accreditation. So, 
we've been through the you know picking schools the cost of living the opportunities for teaching uh, for, for a job on campus or the teaching uh, assistant or a research assistant the nsf funding um, another factor that i would like to give um and this is very important and i see this most time is don't restrict yourself to specialized courses so don't say i want a master's in data science when your master's in data analytics i'll tell you why you end up restricting yourself for the job market these schools come up with this um titles as a market employee to just get students to apply so don't restrict yourself to specialized courses generalized courses offer you more flexibility for job opportunities i'll give you an example if i were to do a master's in computer science and i take courses in ai cybersecurity, data analytics if i wanted to apply for a machine learning role i could apply i can apply for a machine learning role today i can apply for a data science role again the next time it helps me to be flexible because what you want is for you to you know get a job eventually get experience if you have a restricted um, degree program like a master's in, in AI you know, what happens if you don't get AI jobs well, you're not going to tell someone you want machine learning they're going to go maybe you did not go through machine learning so you handicap yourself also when you're filing OPT H1B green card process it becomes it can become difficult with specialized courses because the requirements are usually very generic for these programs for 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 the file for your applications and the last thing you want is for someone that is going through your application to not understand exactly what this is so because when when they're assessing your opt or h1b or green card applications the people assessing are not experts it's not an ai experts that get to your application it's someone probably with an english major you want to make it very easy for your application to pass scrutiny as easy as possible. And one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that your your master's program is as generic as possible. You can always specialize eventually. You can take classes in AI. You can take classes in machine learning. You can take subclass. Those, there are lots of those classes. And at the end of the day, you're just going to get an A or a B class and you're A or a B grade and you're done and you move on. So don't, don't be too bogged down trying to be i want to have a phd or a master's in machine learning it's not going to help eventually it might be a handicap but if you make it as generic as possible you are flexible in changing your you know you can decide like you know what i'm not going to do this i want to do something in generative ai i want to do something with large language models i want to do something different it allows you to do that so the pros and cons <laughs> it takes a while to do this application um another option another another point to make is most people have asked me in the past do i need to take gre or do i not need to take gre my personal again my own personal view is always take the gre um because it's just a requirement that you've met i, I know some schools are phasing them out but if the gre is an option i would have always advise for you to take the gre it's valid for five years you don't have to take it after you take it once for five years i would advise you take the gre take the toefl exams it gives you more uh, flexibility in applying 
So another question I usually get is how many schools do I apply to? This is very important um, for your visa processing. Um, for a student who is applying for school, a bona fide student, the embassy expects you to not restrict yourself to particular states in the US. As a student, someone that is really, really pushing for learning, you would apply, I would advise, to at least three, to at most, to at most five or seven, and make sure they're not in the same state. Now, notice I'm giving you criterias for affordability. You can use that. There are lots, I, I mentioned a bunch of states, um, you know, states in the South, Texas, Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa. Pick four or five of them. Pick a state school or different schools. Look at the professors and apply to like three to five. If you apply to one, you're not going to convince a visa officer that you're a serious student. Why are you applying to one school? You, the school, like I said, they have 3,982 schools in America. You cannot apply to one school. It doesn't make you a bona fide student. Applying to like five schools, I think you show seriousness. And those five schools are in different states. And you give the reasons. So they were to ask you, why did you pick the school? What do you say? I love what the professors are doing. I can afford to pay the school fees. Now you notice that the criteria I just gave you are criteria you give a visa officer to say, to let them know that you are truly a bona fide student. So that's the reason why I outlined those criteria in the beginning. Pros and cons, advantages, um, huge advantages. You, you get to work in the industry, you know, if it's tech, you get to see a real world working experience. You work with smart engineers. You see how the the meal is cooked. You see how engineers work. You are part of the, you know, one of the biggest opportunities in the U.S. And you will become part of that. So that's a huge draw. Lots of career prospects. You have cutting-edge facilities. You have the NSF funding. You have national labs that are doing in-depth research. Research that would you know, give birth to the next business model. So you have researchers working on the next cutting edge network technologies, broadband technologies, machine learning technologies. And then if you have it for applications in the missile areas and for military, you know, so there's so many things and you can, and you have access to that as, as a student. It's, it's, it's incredible. You don't have the amount of national labs you have in America is huge, and those are opportunities. You have a multicultural experience. You get to see different kinds of people. You get to learn different cultures. You no longer have tunnel vision about how things work. You, you get to meet people from different cultures who have experienced different things, and that's a huge learning opportunity. Can't get that in any, most European countries who are generally homogeneous, Nothing wrong with being uh, homogeneous just means that you don't have a diversity of experience. And the disadvantage is you will feel homesick. America is very individualistic. Everyone keeps to their own silo. So you would have to understand that that is the way things work here. It's not bad. It's just different. So you have to learn to adapt. Um, 
also you need to figure out your finances. So you need to know how much money do I have committed to this process. Another thing that you should consider is you need to have a timeline. Never rush an, uh, an application for school. There are two, you know, there are two uh, times you can have applications done, September or January. Um, in another episode, I'm going to outline the advantages or disadvantages of different application time points and things like that. Most probably it's going to be uh, the episode after this one. But, you know, keep listening and you would get way much more information uh, for myself. So for cultural, lots of cultural insights, I, I intend to cover most of this with interviews uh, from people. So I'm going to be interviewing current students international students who are currently in the U.S. studying and I'm going to use that to um, get you practical information from them and also the, the the podcast series would more like chart their journey over time so I'll be bringing them back for future episodes so you can see what has changed uh, and different things that you know that they're going through so that way you you basically get the U.S. experience through the lens of someone that is here. So, I I believe this is going to be a, a, a good place to stop this particular episode. If there's a part two for this, I would, you know, let you know in, an, in, a, in a future episode for you to know, you know what to expect. I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, letting you know about my thought process into, into this. Uh, and I... And I look forward to, you know, to speaking uh, more with you, to you, about the next steps. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Leapfrog Chapa. I hope it brought you valuable insights and stories that resonate with your journey. If you have any thoughts to share, questions, or want to send a voice note with your feedback, please visit our website at leapprojectpo.io. You will find a contact form there. I would love to hear from you and feature your voice in a future episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, some of which are Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Player FM. Your subscriptions and reviews help us grow and reach more listeners, and I truly appreciate each one of them. Also, check out our merch store on the putjackboy.io website for some cool t-shirts and hoodies. Perfect show for showing your support for the show. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll dive even deeper into the experiences and challenges of international education and careers. Until then, keep leaping forward and thanks again for being part of the Leap with Jackpot community.